Good morning, church. What a privilege it is for Mary Lou and me to worship with you all this morning. We've heard wonderful things about Mount Horeb Church for a number of years, and this three days we've been able to meet you in person and experience the incredible hospitality and ministry of this congregation. I'm deeply grateful to Pastor Jeff for the invitation to preach here. I'm a preacher, and he's given me an audience, so I'm just grateful to be uh, here as part of this worship service today. But Jeff, I do have a problem with your announcements. You see, you announced that Dr. Carolyn Moore will be here on September 8th for the Sisterhood event. Mary Lou loves Carolyn Moore. We were with her a few weeks ago in South Georgia, and I suspect Mary Lou is now checking her calendar to see if she can come back to be here for, for that event. So uh, you've messed with my family's schedule here in making that announcement. Sometimes people who are new to Methodism ask, well, what is a bishop anyway? I borrowed the analogy from the game of chess. Uh, as a bishop, I move diagonally long distances. Um, Mary Lou and I live in Dallas, but I work with 13 global Methodist conferences stretching from the Philippines to South Carolina to Africa. So we're on the road quite a bit, but it's an incredible blessing to see what God is doing in so many different places and to be a part of a revival of Methodism in so many different, different places and situations. So that's who I am. I'm grateful to be with you. I'll be back. We are, I am the bishop of the South Carolina part of the Global Methodist Church, and so it's just a great privilege to be worshiping with you all this morning. The scripture lesson this morning is from the book of Romans in the 12th chapter, the first two verses. Would you listen now for the word of God? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I know this sermon is being beamed into the sanctuary and there are people online. Wherever you are, I invite you to pray with me now. Almighty God, we're grateful for the presence of your Holy Spirit in this worship service, sanctuary, auditorium, online, for we trust your promise that wherever two or more gathered there, you'll be also. Yet, God, sometimes we don't get it, and so we ask, open our eyes that we might see you, open our ears that we might truly hear your word, open our minds that we might understand what it is you're saying to us. And then, God, strengthen our hands and feet that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only. All this we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. What do you want to be when you grow up? Now, I know that question is normally asked to young people, children, youth, college students. We get expect answers like, I want to be a teacher, or I want to wait tables, or I want to be a mom or a dad. I want to be a Methodist preacher when I grow up. But the question I'm asking you this morning is not about your career. Whoever is the oldest person listening to my sermon right now, I'm prepared to look you in the eye, even if you're 90 years old, and ask the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because what I'm talking about is not about a career or employment or family life. What I'm asking you about is, 
what kind of person do you want to have become at the end of your days? Well, I have an answer for that. I have a vision for my goal in life. My goal in life is to be like Elizabeth Snell. You all don't know Elizabeth. There's no reason anybody should know about her except that I tell people everywhere that she's my goal post. Elizabeth Snell was 83 years old when I became her pastor, and she was busy taking care of the old people in our community. She still was driving, and so she would visit the senior citizens in Howe, Texas. She would go to see them and talk to them if they were lonely. She would drive to the county seat of Sherman and get their prescriptions if they needed somebody to pick them up for her. If they'd run out of groceries, she'd bring them food. If they didn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, she would talk to them about her faith and invite them to make a commitment to Christ. A number of times in the years I was her pastor, she'd say, Preacher, I've about got this one ready for you to harvest. Well, sure enough, her next door neighbor was in the hospital in Sherman, seriously ill. She said, Preacher, it's time. So I went to visit her neighbor. I got acquainted with him. I heard him confess his faith in Christ. Two weeks later, I did his funeral. A month after that, his wife and daughter joined the church. Elizabeth Snell, in her old age, was so committed to Christ, she was doing everything she could. Out of love for her Lord, out of service to her neighbors, I have never known anybody with as pure a heart as Elizabeth had. When I think about making progress in my life, I think to myself, if I can come anywhere close to the love of God and love of neighbor that Elizabeth exemplified, I will be a success. She never accomplished things by worldly success. Living in a frame house with only a window unit air conditioner, she'd never gone to college, never had written books, never had become famous, but she had a faith and heart as close to God as anybody I know. She's my image of what I'd like to be when I grow up. And when you have that kind of goal in your life, the question is, how do you get there? Well, friends, the New Testament's clear. Look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, where it says, By grace, you have been saved by grace through faith, and not by works, lest anyone should boast. In other words, it's the grace of God that helps us become grown-up people. Become grown-up Christians. We Wesleyan Christians have a really well-developed understanding of the grace of God. We talk about the grace as the free gift of God that's working in everybody's life. You see, we use a Latin word prevenient to talk about the fact that God's grace comes to us before we're aware of it. Pre is before. Veni is to come. We know that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and that God's love is active in the life of people even when they're far away from him and don't quite get it and understand what God's doing. There may be people here today who are so beaten down, in such trouble, who feel unloved and abused and whose lives are a wreck, and I'm here to tell you that the grace of God has a message for you. God loves you just as you are. 
If you're facing a crisis that's leading you to contemplate suicide, don't do that. God loves you. God has a purpose and plan for your life. You just need to open yourself up to the love of God. The next stage in the love of God and the grace that comes to us is called convincing grace, where God talks to us about our issues. You see, Romans is also really clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God's grace diagnoses our spiritual diseases and reminds us that you're a sinner. You've got issues. Everybody has that. And by diagnosing it, God helps you figure out where it is that you've fallen short and where God needs to put his healing power on you spiritually. That then leads to justifying grace. The grace that accepts you as a son or daughter. The grace that transforms your status so that instead of being outside of God's family, you are brought in as one of God's children. That's the point at which you get saved. That's the point at which you become a new creature in Christ. That's the point at which your identity changes and you leave behind the ways of the world and you've decided to follow Jesus for the rest of your life. That justification point is a doorway. Mr. Wesley said, religion is like a house. Repentance is the porch. And justification is the doorway by which you enter into it. But friends, we Wesleyan Christians understand that that's not the end of the Christian journey. That in fact, the rest of the house is called sanctification. I know it's a big word, but it's one used in the New Testament. It comes from the root sanctus, holy, and it says that God's will for your life is to become more and more holy, more and more of a sanctuary. God's will for your life is that you become a fully devoted follower of Jesus who's more and more like Jesus the farther you are on this way of salvation. You see, it's that process of becoming more and more holy that God's doing in your life. Well, the New Testament is full of descriptions about what living a sanctified life looks like. There's lots of those values that we need to have in our minds as a roadmap for what God's doing for you. If you want to know what God's doing in your life, I believe if you have decided to follow Jesus, that the Holy Spirit's at work in your heart and mind. The question is, what's God's doing and how will you recognize it? Well, one way is to turn to Galatians, the fifth chapter, verses 20 through 22, where Paul has just finished talking about the way of the flesh, the world, the evil path that many of us were on, and says instead the fruit of the Spirit is met by nine different words. We need to know those nine words in order to understand God's activity in our heart. Now, I think you ought to memorize those words, and so I'm going to help you do that right now. Repeat after me, love, joy, peace. Again, Love, joy, peace. Once more, love, joy, peace. Say it again. Love, joy, peace. Once more, love, joy, peace. Then the next three are patience, kindness, generosity. Patience, kindness, generosity. Those three, patience, kindness, generosity. People in the sanctuary, I hope you're repeating them also. I just can't hear it, so please do so. Say those three again. Patience, kindness, generosity. 
Patience, kindness, generosity. If you want to know how I memorize my sermons, this is the method. You just keep repeating stuff over and over until it's in your mind. Do those three again. Patience, kindness, generosity. Now all six. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity. All six. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity. Once more. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity. The last three, I put a little rhythm with them. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Again, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Once more, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now do all nine. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Congratulations, Mount Horeb. You have memorized the fruit of the Spirit. Well done. Now here's my parenting or grandparenting tip for the day. Make your children or grandchildren memorize the fruit of the Spirit. Mary Lou and I had three children, have three children. When we were raising them, we lived in North Texas where I was a pastor. Her family was in Kansas, mine in Colorado. That meant long car trips to see family. In those days, it was wall-to-wall car seats in the back of a sedan. My children are sinners. I thought I'd get more laughter from the parents out there about that one. My children are sinners because, well, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in the car, they would pull each other's hair, steal each other's toys, deliberately irritate each other. And when they were fussing, I'd turn around from the driver's seat and say, Arthur, fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Arthur, which of these nine are you not showing right now? Patience, and it's Mary Nell's fault. There's a downside to this parenting tip. <clears throat> Your children grow up. This morning, Arthur's going to be preaching in a few minutes at St. Andrew Methodist Church in Plano. He sometimes looks at me and says, Dad, fruit of the Spirit, which of these are you not showing right now? Because my children know their dad is a sinner. I have my issues. I have my growing edges. I can tell you, friends, exactly where Mary Nell, Arthur's twin sister, was standing in the parsonage in Commerce, Texas, when her dad blew up at her. Oh, she had done something that deserved correction, but she didn't deserve what she was getting. You see, we Jones men, we handle our problems by stuffing them down in our gut and keeping an even keel. We don't express our feelings very well. And so things had built up and built up and built up until something triggered it. I go kaboom and explode. I was on a rant. I can still see Mary Nell's face covered in fear and stepping back because her dad was out of control. I realized I had a problem with patience. Luckily, I was in a small accountability group with four other guys, and I went and confessed to them that, guys, I got an issue. Two of the other guys in the group had the same problem. We began praying. And over the years, God has healed me of that. I'm a much more patient person now than I used to be. 
I can praise God for God's grace in helping me make progress in my spiritual life. And so, friends, I'm inviting you to do a spiritual inventory of your life by the fruit of the Spirit. How are you doing with your patience? What about your kindness? What about your generosity? Are you giving more money away this year than you did last year? What about your faithfulness? Or maybe your self-control? My whole point here, friends, is that God's at work in you trying to move you into being more and more like Jesus. And when you see the fruit of the Spirit, you realize God's helping you make progress on a day-to-day -day basis. There are other commandments in the New Testament. What about feeding the hungry? What about clothing the naked? What about reaching out to those who are sick or in prison? In other words, God's at work helping you to fulfill God's purposes for your life. You're being saved by God's grace, and that's how God is at work in your life right now. The question then becomes, okay, how do I get some more of God's grace? Well, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, had a very clear idea that if it's grace that's saving us, there are some means of grace, some ordinary channels that we can trust. God's going to show up and connect with us to help us get the grace we need to make the progress that we're on in this way of salvation. The chief means of grace is worship. Frankly, that's why you're here this morning. Maybe you're wondering why you showed up at Mount Horeb for worship or watching it online. The point being that when we gather, we trust that the Holy Spirit's going to be present. And I trust that something in this service will bring you closer to God. That you will experience the incredible grace of God somehow, some way in this worship service. Maybe it was the songs we sang. Maybe it was Pastor Jeff's prayer or your time at kneeling at the altar here down front. Maybe it's even the sermon. What I know is that gathering together as the people of God and realizing that you have sisters and brothers on the same journey that you're on, who are maybe ahead of you, maybe behind you, but they're on the same journey with the same Lord and the Holy Spirit shows up, that's a means of grace. Quite frankly, having a church family, a belonging to a community of believers is a powerful witness because when you're in that, it's going to help you make progress. When I was a faculty member at SMU, my uh, family worshipped at Treach Memorial United Methodist Church. And I remember standing right behind Sue. Sue was a woman who I admired greatly. She was working full-time for the food pantry, working for the poor in our part of the Dallas area. And uh, she was right there. We were waiting to go into the worship service, and I greeted her. Hi, Sue. How are you doing? She said, hi, Scott. Glad to see you. We chatted a minute, and then she said, Scott, what are you doing Wednesday night? I said, why do you ask? She said, well, the food pantry doesn't have anybody to work, and I'm trying to find people who can come run the food pantry that night. <laughs> Stick a knife in me. I wish she'd asked me for money. Mary Lou and I tied. I would happily have written her a check for $25. But instead, she asked for something more precious than my dollars. She asked for my time. And you know what the problem was? I wasn't busy Wednesday night. How could I tell this woman no? That's how I ended up working the food pantry that night. And eventually that led to me and my Sunday school class committing to working the food pantry every third and fifth Wednesday for as long as we lived in the area. What was going on there? 
God was using somebody more advanced in the Christian life than I was to get me out of my comfort zone and into fulfilling one of God's commandments about feeding the hungry. Friends, the church, worship, being in community is a means of grace. Reading the Bible is a means of grace. I hope you are doing it personally on a daily basis. There are lots of ways of doing that. Mary Lou's in the process of reading through the Bible in one year. She's got some online Bible recaps that she listens to to help her understand what she's doing. Uh, me, I have a different method. I read Ephesians 4 every morning. I'm really a boring guy because I'm so stuck. I need to really go deep into that one chapter. And every day God helps me see something different in that text. I hope you're reading with a group of other people as well as on your own. That's why participating in some of the small groups at Mount Horeb might be your opportunity to go deeper into what the scripture is teaching. Prayer is a means of grace. I hope you're spending time in prayer, both over blessing of meals, praying for specific people. It took me a long time to get a prayer routine down, but on the top of my to-do list every day, is prayer of praise to God, prayer of confession for my shortcomings, prayer of intercession for people who've asked me to pray for them, prayers, of, well, I close with John Wesley's covenant prayer. In other words, there are prayers that connect you up to God and allow God to give you an extra dose of grace. There's another means of grace that I want to share with you today, though, and that is the idea of belonging to a small group. Back in the beginnings of Methodism, you were expected to worship each week, but you were also expected to be in a small group, 8 to 12 people, where somebody would look you in the eye and say, how is it with your soul? What struggles are you having, and how is God working in your life? Friends, to be able to have people who love you, who are on the same journey as you are, who know you and your struggles and your triumphs, to belong to that kind of group, whether it's an Emmaus reunion group or a band meeting or a class meeting or something else, I hope you have people who are journeying with you. You're going to go through some tough times in your life. A loved one may die. You may be facing a terminal illness. You might be fired from a job or something bad happened to you, some disaster strike. I hope you have Christian friends who know you and trust you and that you trust well enough to ask you, how is it with your soul and for you to be honest with them? You see, I think these different means of grace, well, it's through in Holy Communion and other ways in which God works, all of these means of grace are pathways by which God is at work in our hearts and minds, and God is using that to help us become more and more grown-up, holy Christians. Friends, I believe the Bible, and it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. You got the double negative, didn't you? Oh, there are parts of the Bible that seem really hard to understand for me, whether it's Daniel and Revelation or, or some other part of the prophets in the Old Testament. The parts of the Bible that bother me are the parts I understand really, really well. Like the text from Romans, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Ouch. But here's an important lesson. John Wesley 
took Matthew 5.48 and explained it in a way that made it, well, come home to me. Matthew 5.48 says, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The first step is under word, the word teleos, which gets translated as perfect. Tele is what it means as like telephone and telegraph and television. It's a Greek word for distance or end. Teleos then means mature or perfect. That word gets translated as mature in other places in the New Testament. And so what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5.48 is you need to be a grown-up Christian. You need to be mature. You need to be on this pathway of growing. And when I read it in most English translations, it says you must be perfect. You must be mature. And I feel the weight of God's commandment on me. What Wesley says is this. Every commandment in the Bible is actually a covered or hidden promise. Because when God commands something, God is also promising something. When God commands you to do something, God is in a hidden way promising enough grace to fulfill those commandments. You see, that's what the Christian life is all about. It's a way of making yourself available, your time, your talents, your energy, your money, whatever it is that you've got, to make yourself available for God's grace to shape you to become more and more like Jesus, more and more holy. When I was a pastor, I took a youth group to Mexico to work on some homes for poor people. It was 20 or 30 years ago, and so there had just come a new song out that one of the youth had learned, and I can just picture Jamie sitting on a rock in the Mexican desert with the mountains and rising moon over her as she taught us a powerful song. I'm a Wesleyan Christian, which means I love to sing, and frankly, my spirituality is tied up with a lot of music. And so she helped me with a new song, well, it's now 30 years old, that's powerful and a prayer. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Some of you know it. Sing it with me as a prayer. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. May it be so.